Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the Word of God, the Gospel lesson for this Sunday. We find it written in John's Gospel, the sixth chapter. I shall read especially the fifteenth verse. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus, you who are here in God's house, and you also, the listeners of our radio audience. It is nice having you in church this morning on this sunshiny but snowy Sunday. And it's nice, radio friends, having you worship with us also this day. As you know, this Sunday is the fourth Sunday in Lent. If you looked at your calendar, it is called Lightari Sunday. The word Lightari is Latin and it means rejoice ye. It's the first word of the intro for this Sunday in Latin, which begins, Rejoice ye with Jerusalem, and be glad with her, all ye that love her. So this is Rejoicing Sunday. And on this Sunday, in hundreds of thousands of Christian churches throughout the world that are liturgical churches, there will have been read and there will be read uh, this story, the gospel, the feeding of the 5,000. It may interest you to know, friends, that of all the miracles that Christ performed, excluding his own resurrection, this is the only miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, that is told in all of our four gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was a tremendous thing. We are told that it happened about just one year before Jesus' death, the Passover, before the Passover when he died, and Christ was up in Galilee, and he decided to take his disciples and to cross the Sea of Galilee to go over to the northeast shore. The reason was this. He wanted to be with the twelve and to be alone with them for a while because multitudes were following him since they had seen him heal so many of the sick and of the disease. And because there was a large crowd heading for Jerusalem to go down to celebrate the Passover feast, they followed him. But Christ took a boat and got over on the northeast shore first. And then he and the twelve went and they sat on the side of a mountain. And Jesus accomplished his purpose. But it wasn't very long before the crowd started to walk around the Lake of Galilee on the shore coming to him. And as they were coming, Jesus looked down at Philip. Why he picked Philip, we don't really know. But he said to Philip when he saw that multitude coming, he said, where are we going to find food in this place to feed all those people? We are told that Jesus said it to Philip in order to test him, to see what he would think. But Philip didn't have any idea what Jesus had in mind. And he said, why, in other words, search me. I don't know where you'd find food around here to feed that many people. And besides, if we had 40 or $50 and bought food. You couldn't even give each one a bite. There were so many. You see, 5,000 of them. Then later on in the day, Andrew found a little boy that had a lunch. He had five barley loaves and two small fishes, or he had brought along five crackers and two sardines, and he had a lunch. And Andrew told Jesus about that. And so Christ spoke to that multitude until it became evening. How he got the lunch from the boy, we aren't told whether they bought it or whether the little boy gave it to Jesus, we don't know. 
But Jesus went to the disciples and he said, tell the people to sit down. And they sat down in groups of 50 and 100, probably in circles or semicircles. And then Jesus took those five little crackers and those two little fishes and he blessed them. And then he gave it to the disciples and says, now take this to the people. Usually they carried baskets and that's probably how they transported the food to the people. And they kept on and they took again the bread and the fish and they went out and they fed a thousand and they came back and there were still more bread and fish and they went out and they fed two thousand and then they fed three thousand and they fed four thousand and still those little five barley loaves and two fishes were not all and then they fed five thousand and then Jesus says now take your baskets and go out and get the leftovers don't let anything be wasted and mind you they went out and they got twelve full baskets of leftovers is it any wonder with an astounding miracle like that and here the people were on their way to Jerusalem to the Passover that they didn't say oh this one must be the Messiah that's going to come and then like Oh, just like rapid fire, it dawned on them and they got this idea like wildfire. Listen, tell you what let's do. Let's take him and we'll kidnap him and we'll make him our king and we'll go down to Jerusalem and we'll put him up on our shoulder and we'll go into the city where the hundreds of thousands are and we'll say, here is our king. And oh, they were thrilled. They said, what more do we want? What more do we want? Look at the resources this man has. Why, this man is able to wipe poverty off of the face of the earth. Let's let him be king of an earthly kingdom. We'll never want for food when we have him. This man is able to heal diseases. What more do we want? Let's seize him and kidnap him and let's make him a king. And Jesus knew when that idea was going by wildfire through the minds of 5,000 that day, he knew what they were up to. And because it was getting dark, we are told that he went and he hid in the mountain himself alone. In other words, he said no. I wonder, have you ever thought of this supposing they had kidnapped Jesus and he had consented? And he said, all right, take me to Jerusalem on this Passover. Proclaim me to be a king of an earthly kingdom. Have you ever thought what would have happened? I wonder how many of us said, well, he sure missed the boat when he didn't go. How many of us feel today and say, why didn't he go? Why did he hide himself? Why didn't he go and be a king of an earthly kingdom? What's so wrong about that? Didn't he miss the boat? Couldn't he have met all of our needs as an earthly kingdom? Why, look, had he gone in his kingdom, there would be no poverty. You'd never hear of anybody ever being hungry. He again would be able to feed every one of us. And again, in all of our illnesses, we could go to him and we could have our illnesses healed. With that power, there would be no war. With the power that would be his, with the internal resources that were at his command, why, there would be liberty and there would be justice for everybody. What's wrong with that? Why didn't he go? Oh, didn't he miss the boat? Today, friends, is like Harry Sunday, and Christ is calling on you and me today to rejoice and to be glad and to thank him that when the 5,000 that day up on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee tried to take him and take him to Jerusalem and make him the king of an earthly kingdom, that he said no, he hid himself. He wants you and me to rejoice and to thank him for that. 
And we may say, well, that's pretty hard to do to thank him for something like that. We may say, if anybody ever missed the boat, he really did. Why didn't he go? Why didn't he let them take him? Why, after all, wouldn't we have everything we need if he had gone? Why, there would be no poverty on the face of the earth. We'd all have abundance. And again, we could get our illnesses all healed. And again, we know this, that there would be liberty and there would be justice, that every man would have fair play because he would force it. Why in the world didn't he go? And we are to rejoice. Why, if he had gone as an earthly king, we may say, why, he would have filled all of our needs. But he wants you and me to rejoice that he didn't go. He hid himself and he was not available. And all because he would assure you and me that he would have failed us in our greatest of all needs. He would have been a king without a cross. Had he gone that day as the king of an earthly kingdom, listen, friend, he would have been a king without a cross. And he said, oh, no. I'm not going to be a king without a cross. And you and I may say, well, what difference would that make? And after all, you may say, you preachers are always talking about the king and the cross. What's the difference whether he would be king with a cross or without a cross? If he had gone to Jerusalem and established an earthly kingdom, what more would we want than the eradication of poverty? We would all have everything that we wanted. Everybody would have food. There would be no war. We would get our ailments all healed. And there would be liberty and there would be justice for everybody. Pray tell, why would we be lacking the great need if he had been a king but not a king with a cross? On the basis of the word of God, thank God he didn't go as a king of an earthly kingdom. Thank God he said no, and he said, I'm going to be a king with a cross. Why? Because that's our greatest need. And you may say to me this morning, preacher, why is that our greatest need? And may I remind you in the first place that Christ would tell us that as a king without a cross, he would not have the blessing of the forgiveness of sins to give us. You may say to me, well, you talk about the forgiveness of sins, and we hear about it. It's so trite. We don't know what you're talking about. But why would that be such an immense blessing that he would be failing us if he didn't have a cross? Well, all that I can say on this thing of the forgiveness of sin, Jesus must have thought it was very important or he would have gone, but he told them, no, I'm not going as a king without a cross. And it must be a tremendous blessing, friend, by virtue of the fact that he was willing to go to the cross in order to provide it. Supposing he had gone. Supposing he had a kingdom and he was the king of an earthly kingdom and you and I had, again, the assurance, no poverty, never wanting for anything to eat, no war, getting our sicknesses healed, liberty and, again, the rights of justice for all of us. Nevertheless, he would not have taken care of our sin problem. We would still be sinners. We would go to him and we would say, 
Lord Jesus, I know, again, you're the king of an earthly kingdom, but I know that I am a sinner. When I look at my own soul, I know that I am guilty. I have broken my God's laws, and I have thought things that are wrong, and my soul is marked in guilt. I have said things that are wrong, and therefore I know I'm guilty. I have done deeds that are wrong. I have left undone many things that I should have done. And we would have gone to him, and we would have said, Oh, Lord Jesus, within my heart there is a terrific longing and my conscience is terrified and I'm upset and I'm miserable inside. And we'd say, Oh, Christ, can't you do something? Can't you forgive me my sins? Can't you assure me that all is well between you and me? Can't you cover up my sins? Can't you erase my guilt and my punishment and this horrible, burning, terrifying conscience that damns me? And he would have to say, I'm sorry, son. I became the king of an earthly kingdom. That's what you wanted. And I don't have a cross. And because I don't have a cross as a king, I don't have any forgiveness to give you. I have no answer for that burning, terrifying, damning conscience that gives you no rest. Then you and I would say, oh, you failed me. If you don't have a cross and you can't forgive me and you can't give me peace within my own soul, Oh, you failed me as a king. And you and I may say, is that a tremendous blessing? For God's sakes, are you and I so dead that when we look in this world and we say to ourselves, why an alcoholic? Why does a man just plaster himself that he can hardly move? I'll tell you why. He's got a spiritual problem. He's looking for peace of mind. As one said to me, if I can just have five minutes when I am completely beyond myself, then I've got five minutes apiece when my conscience doesn't damn. For God's sake, are you and I as a Christian so dead that when we see men taking LSD, taking the acid, taking the trip, but what we say to ourselves, why? Because they are seeking peace within their own hearts. They are trying to still a damning, burning conscience. For God's sake, are you and I so dead we don't understand? Marijuana, why are our kids smoking dope? Is it just because it's a fling? Oh no, it's a spiritual problem. They are trying to deaden a damning conscience that condemns and makes them guilty. If Christ that day had gone as a human king, the king of an earthly kingdom, without a cross, oh, he would have failed you and me in that which men say is the supreme blessing, imperturbability, peace of mind, the knowledge that sin is forgiven, that all is well. And we'd say to Christ, don't you have the Lord's Supper? Don't you have something where you can give us your body and your blood, those tremendous erasers that again when we receive them by means of bread and wine, that those erasers will erase our soul and we shall stand before you whiter than snow, forgiven and know that we're saved as though we had never sinned and have peace. And Christ would say, Son, I'm sorry. 
You force me to become a king of an earthly kingdom. I am a king without a cross. I have no communion. I have no Lord's Supper for you. Thank God we can rejoice that somebody had some sense that day up on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee and that it was Christ. And when 5,000 said, there's our king, let's snatch him against his will and let's make him an earthly king. Let's take him to Jerusalem at the Passover and let's declare him because we've got everything we need. Oh, no. He said, no, no, you don't. And he went and hid himself. He went into the mountain alone. Why? Because he would have been a king without a cross. And today if we can rejoice in the fact that he had some sense and that he determined that he was not going to be a king without a cross because he knew that that would be the greatest failure that he could bring upon you and me even though again it would have meant some earthly blessings then we ought to just stop for a moment and say are you and I amongst those today and there are a lot of them who say, boy, he sure missed the boat when he didn't go that day. How many of us may say, well, all you need in this world, if you don't have any poverty problem, and you got all you want to eat, and you got all the clothing you want to wear, and there is no war, and you can go and get your illnesses healed by him, and again, there is liberty and justice for everybody, you've got everything. You don't need a king with a cross then if we had these things there ought to be peace of mind on there and these things should satisfy may I give you my experience when again my wife and I went into I went into Sweden and we were coming into Stockholm and the man that met us again as we drove into Stockholm to the hotel he said here you are in Sweden and this is the greatest socialistic country on the face of the earth we have no poverty. He said, look at our apartment houses that are going up. These are going up for the aged. There is no slum area in this nation. Those who are the old age on relief, they fare better than those with money. We have, we have the finest medical system. And he went on to tell me that when, again, he had had a recent operation, that he had the greatest urologist in the city of Stockholm, and it only cost him about $12, which anyone could pay for the whole kit and caboodle. And he was telling me what a wonderful thing it was. And then we were talking, and we're not at war, he said. We have liberty and we have justice for everybody. This is the great socialistic nation. Oh, I didn't say to him, you've got, you say no war when right next door is Finland dominated by Russia. How in the world would you stop it? And I said that to another man. What would you do if Russia came? And they said nothing. We have no defense in nuclear weapons. And he said, we'll depend on the United States and you wouldn't dare let Russia take us because if you would, Russia would take you and therefore we aren't afraid. We're depending on you. But I did say to him, then tell me, mister, if these are the things that you have, what about God? And he says, we don't need God. We don't need Christ. You only need him when you've got wants. We have no wants. Then I said, will you answer this for me? Why is it that your nation, Sweden, has the highest suicide rate of any nation in Europe? Yes, one of the highest in the world. Explain that to me. If again man lives by bread alone, if that's the way you live, why is it that you have despondency and despair? And why is it that so many of your own people take their lives? And he couldn't answer me.
But I know the answer, and so do you. Because had Christ become an earthly king, and when a nation says, this is all that matters, we don't need him, we don't need a king with a cross, that nation again is failing. Because man doesn't live by bread alone. Man's greatest need, and thank God Jesus knew it up there that day on the Sea of Galilee, we need a king with a cross, not a king without one. And we ought to ask his forgiveness if we have ever said to ourselves, why didn't he come and be an earthly king? Oh, again, we say to ourselves today, this is like Harry Sunday, this is the day when Jesus calls upon you and me to rejoice in the fact that when men wanted him to go to Jerusalem to be an earthly king, to be a king again who would eradicate poverty, who would be able to take care of illness, that he said no, and he went and he hid himself. You and I may say, well, I find it hard to rejoice in that. I think he missed the boat because, again, then we would have had everything, but he says, I would have failed you in your greatest need. I would have been a king without a cross. And you may say, well, what's the difference whether he's got a cross or not as long as he'd be a king? Well, may I remind you in the second place that Jesus would tell us that as a king without a cross, he would have no deliverance from hell and damnation to give you and me and his kingdom. What would happen if, again, if he had come as an earthly king without a cross, we would still go to him, we would still be sinners, and we would still die. Don't forget the ones that Christ healed died again, and the ones that he raised from the dead, they died again. Jairus' daughter died again. The young man at Nain raised from the dead, he died again. Lazarus died again because death is the result of sin. And we would go to him as a king if he was only the king of an earthly kingdom. And we would say, Lord Jesus, I'm afraid to die. I know that I am guilty. My conscience troubles me. It torments me day and night. And I have no peace within. And therefore, because my conscience bothers me and I am guilty, I know that I'm damned. And I know, therefore, that when death comes, I'm going to hell. And I know that I shall be separated body and soul from the love of God forever. And I know that hell is a place of torment. Oh, Christ, can't you spare me and deliver me from hell? And he would say, Son, I'm sorry. You made me the king of an earthly kingdom, a king without a cross. And without a cross, I can't deliver you from hell. And he can't. It was on the cross, was it not, that Jesus gained deliverance from hell for you and me? On the cross, if you don't understand, he bore the equal of an eternity in hell for you and me. He paid the bill in full. He took that suffering on himself. No wonder he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knows what hell is because he bore the equal of it for you and me and all men. That was the cross. But if we take the cross away from him as a king, then all that he can say is, I know I failed you in the biggest thing. I am sorry, but when death comes, you're going to have to face it in terror. I have no hope to offer you. Again, you may live without fear of poverty. You may have all you want to eat. There may be no war. You can get your sicknesses healed by me. You can have liberty and justice, but when death comes, you are destined and doomed to eternal hell forever. I'm a king without a cross. You and I would say, oh Jesus, you failed. 
Is it any wonder that that day again when even 5,000 with a feeling of enthusiasm they said let's snatch him and let's take him to Jerusalem on the Passover festival and we'll proclaim him our king and we'll have everything that we want and Jesus says oh no you don't. You're not going to take me that way because I would be failing you. I would fail you because then I'd be a king without a cross. And today if we can light hearty, if we can rejoice and we can say, say to him, thank God you had some sense that day, Lord Jesus, that you refused to be a king of an earthly kingdom and you refused to be a king without your cross, then we're going to say to ourselves, well, how about these byproducts, these things that men want so much? Is Christ opposed to these things? Is Christ opposed to the fact that there shall be an abundance on earth and that we shall not want? Heaven forbid. Is Christ opposed to peace instead of war? Heaven forbid he wants peace. Doesn't Christ want us to, again, in the medical field, have the finest blessings that we can have for healing the body? Doesn't Christ want liberty and justice for all? To be sure he does. Therefore, again, when he refused to go to Jerusalem, he wasn't saying, these things are not important. But what he was saying, the one thing is important, and that's this, that I shall be the king of a cross, and when you elevate me in your heart, you shall have these other things. What is it that has made America great, isn't it this? That it was founded by men who had a king with a cross. Men, again, who stood at the cross of Calvary and there found peace of, within their own hearts. And there found deliverance from death and hell. And there learned what mercy was. And men that went out and began to show mercy to their fellow men. Men that stood at the cross and realized that all men are equal, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of your previous position, regardless of what it may be, regardless of your earthly things, that we stand as equals before the king and his cross because their mercy was shown all of us without discrimination. And we also have found that then we become our brother's keepers. You and I are looking at America today and we're saying, what's happened? And men are afraid. We are being told, watch the cities this coming summer, the arms that are going into individual homes, and again, that men are saying, by force, we're going to get these things that we want, and men are going to say, we shall be a law to ourselves. If you don't like law, you break it. And again, to go back to that kind of revolution and to go back to tyranny, Jesus says, if you want these blessings, just put me as the king of the cross in your hearts. And as we lose these things, isn't this the reason that Christ the cross isn't being elevated in human hearts? Churches are forgetting something. We look into our, a case right here in Marion. I think of Judge Paul Smith, judge of the common pleas court. A man can write him threatening letters and threaten to take his life or to harm his family. A man can even sign those letters. A man can even send his own picture. A man can send a picture of a revolver and say, this is aimed at you. And again, being a judge, he certainly ought to know some evidence. Now, if it were you or if it were I, I would say, well, maybe you and I don't recognize evidence. But as a judge, if he doesn't know evidence, then he ought not to be a judge. Isn't that right? And then to consult with the FBI and to be told this is the evidence. 
then to have again a man indicted and to have a man tried and a jury to say that man is not guilty, that man is innocent, that men can threaten lives and point guns and write suicidal notes to you and me and nothing happens. What's happening? What is happening? What's wrong with again our being our brother's keeper? We begin to say, why are law enforcement officers giving up their job, claiming that the judiciary somehow or other is favoring the criminal? Is this something wrong? Is it this? And I'm only asking a question that the underworld in this country that you and I love has such a tremendous force that it's sort of a mafia, that even the judiciary of this country is under its influence. Is that happening? Then what's wrong? Because the king and his cross are not elevated in human hearts. That's what's wrong. That you and I are forgetting we're our brother's keepers. There is no problem in this nation. There is no need. There is no lack in this nation. But what when Christ as king of the cross is elevated in human hearts? You've got an answer. That's the answer to the race problem. That's the answer to every problem that bothers us. When we stand and we elevate the Christ of the cross, then we learn what mercy is. And then we see every human being as a blood-bought person in Jesus Christ. If we're failing in America today, we're failing because we're failing in putting the king with a cross into our hearts. Jesus up there on the shore of Galilee, oh, 5,000 said, this is the hour, this is the man, let's seize him and let's take him down to Jerusalem and we'll make him our king. And Jesus says, oh, no, you don't. And he hid himself. He was not willing to become an earthly king in spite of the blessings that might come because he assures you and me and we ought to rejoice over that we would have been failed by him in our greatest need. He would have been a king without a cross. And you say, but preacher, what does it mean that he has to have a cross? Is that so all-fired important? And yes, it is, because without a cross, he assures you and me, not only would he not have the blessing of the forgiveness of sins, he would not have the blessing of deliverance from hell for you and me, but he wouldn't have the blessing of heaven. We'd still be sinners, and we'd go to him if he were only an earthly king, and we'd say, Lord Jesus, can't we live with you in heaven? Isn't it possible that when death comes to us, that you would take us body and soul to be with you, where I hast not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which you have prepared for them that love you? And he would say, I'm sorry, son. But you see, I'm only the king of an earthly king, and that's all you wanted, and you thought this was it. And because I'm a king without a cross... I haven't heaven to give for you because only by the cross could I have made it available. And you and I know that it was because he stuck to his guns and he said, I'm going to be the king of a cross because he died for you and me. And because in that sacrifice he merited a righteousness for you and me that admits you and me to heaven. It's only because he was a king with a cross. 
that he supplied your greatest need and mine, and that therefore we can in him, we can face death with a smile on our faces and know this, that death shall not be hell and damnation, but we can face it in the serenity of knowing that when he is our king, the king with the cross, that it means life, it means salvation, because he didn't fail us that day up again on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. Oh, today we ought to rejoice. We ought to say, thank God somebody had some sense that day. That when 5,000, oh, they meant well. They thought, we're going to take him. We'll make him an earthly king. And he said, oh, no, you don't. No, you're not going to make me that kind of a king. I'm going to be the king with the cross because I would fail you in your greatest need then we ought to be determined as we rejoice in that fact to know this, that how can I put this king with a cross into the lives of other men? How did Jesus do it? All about his life, when you look at his earth, I mean, he was always interested in saving souls. And how did he do it? By love. Isn't that right? He loved men. Every person he saw, the big desire was this, how can I treat that person that I can make it easier for that person to be saved? He wants you and me to love as he has loved us. And we ought to say this morning when we look out on a world that is, oh, it's so in turmoil, it's so upset, and our nation again coming apart at the seams, we ought to say, my job, if Christ as king with a cross rules in my heart, I must look at every man with this kind of love that I must say, I must treat him so that Christ and his cross will come to him and that he will spend eternity with me. And when you and I embark on that kind of love, oh, we can have a bit of heaven on earth too. The little things. You say, what can I do? I, I think back, Oh, just a little thing, and that's why I think of it. I'll never forget it. When I was going into St. Anthony Hospital one day in Columbus to visit one of our patients, it was a hot day in the summer, and I went by the emergency entrance, and three colored men were sitting there. And as I walked by, I remember saying, Hello, men, rather warm today, isn't it? And we just exchanged a few words, and they greeted me. And I walked around the building because the door to the emergency was right at the edge of the building. And I heard one say, and it was loud, he didn't know that I heard. He said, you can bet that man is a Christian. You can bet that man is... That hit me like a ton of bricks. The first thing I thought, oh God, thank God I said something that day. Somebody saw Christ in me by just... A few words of kindness. That's all it took. That's all it took. Last Wednesday night before church started, right downstairs a man was waiting to see me. Came up to me and he started to tremble and he said to me, are you the minister? And I said, yes. He said, I'm an alcoholic. I'll, I'll admit that. And he said, I haven't had a drink today and I've got to have a drink. And there he was with the shakes. And he says, oh God, help me. He says, I'm heading for Fort Wayne. And he says, I, I know uh, you're going to say somebody says I've got to have a drink he stood there trembling and I said are you going on to Fort Wayne he said yes and he said I said would you promise to talk to a minister when you got to Fort Wayne and would you go contact the AA he says I'll do it I don't want to be like it but please he says 
Pastor, I, I've got to have a drink. I can't. He said, oh, how can a man get into the shape? And I gave him money, and I said, here's money for a drink, and here's money for something to eat. I hope he gets something to eat. You may criticize me for that, but I'm sure my Lord would have given him something too. A wretched man, he thanked me, and he said, I'll, I'll go see a minister. And you may wonder when you're in church like we were Wednesday night and we shook hands with one another, you may say, well, what good does that do? What good does it do to have somebody who's not a member come up to the door and say, oh, it was wonderful to be here, to have somebody shake my hand. I felt so close to my Lord tonight. And a couple of my kids came on back around the door and they said, nobody shook hands with you, Reverend, so we're coming back and shake hands with you too. All these little things. You wonder, what can you do? Little things to love them into the kingdom of God so that Christ with his cross can reign in a man's heart. And all oh, then we'll abolish poverty and war will be at an end and we'll have justice and liberty for all. Oh, I stood at the Sea of Galilee one day. I tell you, it's an immense experience when you stand there. It's fresh water, you know, washed by hands, and again, the Sea of Galilee. And I thought, here's where the stranger of Galilee was one day. I wasn't far from this place where he fed the 5,000. Uh, it's a strange feeling. Frankly, you stand there, and you, you can't believe it that you're at the Sea of Galilee, and that this is where your Lord walked, and you want to cry, and you do. You turn your head and you don't want anybody to see you, but you shed some tears. Now, there he fed the 5,000. There is, again, where they tried to take him and make him an earthly king, and he said, oh, no, I'd fail you. I'm going to be a king with a cross. And you stand there and you thank him. Oh, we ought to thank him today that he wouldn't sell us short, that he met our greatest need because he was the king with a cross. And I'll tell you, when the cross is exalted, then everything is possible in this nation that you and I love. We can stand and we can say, oh, that stranger of Galilee that died on a cross, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Oh, we rejoice. Thank God we had a Christ that had some sense. That we've got a king with a cross. Hallelujah. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding Keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Mm -hmm.